0: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the CEO Journals podcast. For those of you that are new here, I'm your host, Ethan Bridge, and I just want to start off this episode by saying thank you all for joining. COVID-19, a term that we've all had to become far too familiar with over the past couple of months. We know it's affecting both individuals and businesses around the globe. Today's guest on the show, Andy Baldacci, decided morally to no longer charge his customers throughout the duration of the pandemic, understanding that he shouldn't be charging for a service that is currently providing no value. His company revenue currently stands at zero dollars, something that definitely wasn't forecasted. We delve into how he is making the best of this difficult and frankly unusual situation. From professional poker player to the owner of a software company, Andy has an interesting story behind how he acquired SaberSim, a software that offers daily sports projections and lineup builders for the MLB, NFL, NBA, NHL and golf. Being from the UK, the fantasy sports scene in America was fascinating to learn about. I had no idea how passionate everyone was, and I had no idea how much money could actually be at stake. I can't wait for you all to hear what Andy has to say. So without any further ado, let's dive straight into today's episode. Enjoy. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to CEO Journals. I am super excited for today's episode because we have Andy Baldacci on the show. Andy, how are you doing today?
1: I'm doing well. You got the name right, so so we're off to a good start. Uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm doing well, all things considered. We're, we're talking in mid-April 2020, so it's kind of a, a weird time where it's almost a month into practical lockdown for, for both of us, so kind of adjusting, yeah. but all things considered, it could definitely be a lot worse for 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 us, so I feel fortunate for that at least.
0: Exactly, and I think that's the thing we all need to remember in a time like this as well is, the situation could be a hell of a lot worse than we're actually yeah. in at the moment, so always got to look at the positives. But obviously, thank you for joining me on today's episode. And for the listeners that don't know who you are would you mind just giving us a quick 60-second introduction of who you are and what you do, please?
1: Yeah, I would assume most don't know who I am Um, (laughs) But yeah, my name is Andy Baldacci. I'm the CEO of Sabresim And we create tools to help people win more money at daily fantasy sports Um, My background is I was a professional Gambler really poker player for most of it. Um, but for about a decade, um, kind of slowly made my way into the startup world on the marketing side of things. And then about 18 months ago, with a few partners, purchased SaberSim. Um, and I've been running that full time for a little over a year now, I guess. Yeah. And so that's kind of the, the condensed version. But there's, there's a lot we can unpack if you want to dig into any of it, though.
0: Of course I do. And that's basically what this podcast episode is going to be about. <laughs> and I can't wait to talk to you about Saber because I find the whole sort of fantasy sports thing over there in America fascinating because <laughs> you're all crazy for it, aren't you? So I don't understand it. We don't have the same enthusiasm over here in the UK. We have somewhat with the football, soccer, but, right. <laughs> but not to the same extent. So to find out what you do about that and how you start that business, I cannot wait to talk about it. But the way I'd like to start all my episodes is to sort of throw it back with my guests and ask them about their time at school, just to give the listeners a bit of a background to how you were back then. So let's focus on a 14-year-old version of yourself. Mm. How were you at that time? Were you the class clown, bang average student, or were you just straight A smashing every single exam out of the park?
1: Uh, 14 was kind of a weird time, but it was like, yeah, it's like at that point, I guess entering high school in the, the U.S., um, didn't like school, um, didn't want to be there. Um, I did fine in terms of grades, but it was just never a priority. Um, I don't know if I would say like I was entrepreneurial at that time really, but I just knew that the more traditional path of things wasn't for me at all. And it was just like, that was really the age where I just started getting very kind of frustrated with it because it was like, all right, like I'm taking all these classes that I don't care about. I don't want to be here. I don't really have any say in any of this. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, I mean, to, to kind of stay out of trouble, like I still did fine in class, but it was always sort of daydreaming about different business ideas, different things to do, just reading different books, just kind of studying and learning on my own because I just didn't, frankly, care a ton about what I was learning in the more traditional schooling. Um, so that was kind of the start of really when it, I really kind of felt like, okay, like this, this isn't what I'm, what I'm looking for.
0: For sure. So did you go to college or university then, or did you sort of... I did.
1: I did. So yeah, I went to uh, the university in um, my state, uh, back in Maine, and it was better um because i then had control over my classes um had a better group of friends that i was around and all of that and that part of it was more enjoyable um but it really just like a couple years in kind of went back to the same thing where i was like all right like i don't care a ton about like these subjects i I bounced around from different major to major to figure out what i liked and i like different pieces of a bunch of them from Psychology to philosophy to political science, but like at the end of it, it was like, okay, like I still have a couple more years of any of these to finish, and that just seemed horrible to me. Uh, so I actually dropped out at one point and moved to Thailand to play poker full time. Um, that was when I was making more and more money just playing online poker, and that made it just harder to care as much about university. Um, And so I was in Thailand for probably about six months um, and realized that school wasn't so bad. Uh, I I kind of started missing friends and that sort of thing. So I wasn't going back necessarily for the prospect of a degree to get me a job because at that time it was I was getting more and more serious about poker and considered myself a professional then. And that was kind of the path I was going on is like, I'm going to have this let's just go back and, and I'll enjoy myself a bit more and finish university to to make my parents happy for the most part.
0: For sure. So being a professional poker player, then let's talk a little bit about that. Because I suppose at a young age, if, if I went and told my parents that I wanted to be a professional poker player, they would go they'd go ballistic, not because they wouldn't support what I was doing. They'd just be like, that's, come on, gambling? Are you yeah. sure that's the right route? So how did well, how did that go for you? And obviously you were clearly quite successful for, at it. So yeah, they
1: weren't sure I, I mean in the very beginning they weren't excited about it by any means. because um, I remember I worked at I don't think you have them in the uk but like best buy it's just like an electronics store yeah. Um, I worked there in high school and it was like my, my last year of high school I quit that job because I was making enough from poker where it would just like, wasn't close between the two things. One was like a minimum wage job where I was making maybe like, I don't know, like nine or $10 an hour, something like that. Um, and in poker I was doing much better. So I, I quit and that was like the first kind of talk with them about that. Where I was like, okay, like if you're going to do this, like you have to do this. You have to make this work. Like we're not going to give you money. Like it's all on you at this point. And really from that point on, like I, I made it work. Um, and so the first couple of years, they weren't again, like excited about it, but I wasn't asking them for money. I, I was making it work. Yeah. I was kind of paying my own way. And so there wasn't a lot they could do. And then after a few years into it, they saw I was taking it seriously. They saw I was working well and they started coming around to it a bit more. Um, but definitely I had to prove myself a bit with that. Uh, yeah, cause I think <laughs> the reaction you described is pretty much how, how they react and how I think most people would.
0: sure but what do you think you took away from being a professional poker player then and how you were able to transition skills learned from that into your career now because it must be huge are you more inclined to take risks in the fact that you did that back then
1: yes um i definitely am but i don't think it's like i i don't view myself as like when I'll, i'll call myself like a professional gambler because there are multiple forms of gambling that I've earned a living at, but like, I don't view myself in the traditional like gambler's sense where I'm not taking blind risks. Um, I'm very calculated and try to be as rational as possible and really evaluate the risks. And I think in a lot of cases, things that people in general think are, especially around business and entrepreneurship, things that people think are risky, ultimately aren't nearly as risky as they are and i think a lot of actions that people take without looking at the risks are are probably much riskier than than they actually think they are so it kind of goes both ways where i I feel like my biggest asset that i gained from that background was really just being able to better dissect the true risk of a situation and be as rational as possible about about kind of that side of it Um, and Trying not to let emotion sway me too too much but yeah Yeah. that's that's kind of I think what I the biggest takeaway I got from that
0: for sure so why did you why did you stop them because I mean there is this period of time between what you do now and the fact that you worked at Hubstaff you were a consultant and you worked at Groove so Mm -hmm. why did you stop playing poker and, and sort of transition into a what people would consider I'm not I'm not putting a downer on gambling here, but more of a, a proper job. I'm going to put yeah. proper in inverted commas because, I mean, every if you earn money from it, you can consider anything a proper job, right? But right. this is what yeah. your day-to-day person would look at and in go, the, oh, okay.
1: So in the US, I mean, my background was 95% of the poker I played in gambling I did was online. Um, in the US, it was kind of in a, gray area legally there were no concerns about playing but the sites that i was playing on often weren't licensed and there was just a lot of uncertainty around that and so just over the years i was kind of hoping that things would get clarified more and that the sites would be more above board it would just be easier to play Um, but it just actually went the other way where it got harder and harder to play Um, and the biggest piece of that was there were fewer you had to kind of You had to really want to play to be able to play online poker in the U S yet it wasn't as easy as just taking out your credit card and making a deposit. You had to kind of find some different sites and sometimes your card would get declined and just, it was not an easy process. And so that made the games a lot harder. And so just over the years, my income kind of plateaued and I find myself having to play more just to maintain that. And, there were a few, the last few years that were really just a grind. It it wasn't enjoyable. It was just a job. And it was just so monotonous, um, that I couldn't, I just knew I, I had to get out of that. And I always did have passion for, for business and for startups and would read every chance I would get every book I could find, every blog I could find, message boards, all of that to learn as much as I could. And it was those last few years of, poker i basically felt like like a human robot where it was like the games i was playing the decisions i was making were just very systematic and i mean i there were times definitely where i'd have to think but not that often um Mm. and so while i would play i could read a book i could be reading browsing different websites and just studying all this so honestly 30 to 50 hours a week i would be studying these kinds of things and when i finally decided like all right like i really need like things definitely aren't getting better here i need to start transitioning out of it um i that was when i said okay like let i do enjoy marketing and i think at this point i've kind of taught myself enough that i would be a valuable asset to some companies and kind of started putting myself out there for that and then just kind of worked my way up on that side of it um but it was yeah that was it it was just the the future of the industry was very unclear i wasn't enjoying it and i knew it just wasn't what i didn't see myself in 10 15 20 years still doing that and being happy at all
0: so sort of more or less the safest option for yourself in your head
1: yeah and and it was around that time too where i started getting more into daily fantasy sports and those are just very different than poker in the sense of for poker I need to physically be at the table playing. If I'm not playing, I'm not earning money. With daily fantasy sports, a lot of the work can be done up front. And then once you submit your entries, your lineups, it's kind of done. And I was seeing a lot of success there. And it was like, okay, this I think has more potential than poker does, but it also doesn't take that much of my time. So I'm not just like sit around and play video games in the rest of my time. Why don't I start getting into marketing and start to seeing what that's like? And I can do both at the same time.
0: For sure. So at Hubstaff and Groove, marketing was sort of like your most focused role?
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: So... For those, did you join those companies quite early on and help build them and scale them, or did you sort of join them mid-run and just carried on and learned more before you then decided to transition into buying your own company? I
1: was relatively early at Hubstaff. I don't quite remember the team size, but I think we were doing between thirty and forty thousand dollars a month in revenue when I joined, and when I left, we were closer to 200000 a month in revenue. Um, so I was definitely in the earlier days there. Um, mm-hmm. When I joined Groove, that was um, basically joined like at a plateau point for, for that company. And it's, it's funny. It's like we were at a weird transition spot where it was basically rethinking the entire product and, and releasing an entirely new product um, that took a couple of years to get ready. And so behind the scenes, I was working on, on a lot of the marketing, getting things ready for that launch. Uh, but then the opportunity to buy Saberson came up. And so I kind of done all, all of the, the, a lot of the behind the scenes work for this launch, but then wasn't actually able to, to be there when, to see it through. And so it was a little bit bittersweet in that sense of, yeah. of our, the entire team was working so hard behind the scenes. And then when it was finally ready to get going, going public, I, I left um but so yeah they're both at very different times uh in the company's journeys and i learned a lot kind of seeing companies at at different parts of those journeys
0: but i suppose what you learned there as well especially in marketing now having a software business is probably one of the most valuable skills you could possess in the fact that you've literally got this same product that's going to be shipped out to everyone Mm -hmm. and you've basically just got to get in front of them and realize that they need it. Cause I mean, as you say, there's enough people out there that do play these fantasy sports in America that they, I mean, they need this product if they want to do well. Like I'm an extremely competitive guy. If I was out there playing this sort of thing, I'd want to beat all my friends and (laughs) potentially, as you say, win a lot of money. So Mm. I'd want to use your product. So how did you, before we go into how you sort of grew it, let's start. Uh, how did you decide to go into this avenue? How did you decide why SaberSim?
1: So, I was still having success, more and more success, with my own daily fantasy play um, and just other gambling projects with a couple partners, um, and we were looking to build more models for more traditional sports betting. And to do that, we needed more data um, to train those models, and, and just basically that, that's what comes down to: it. the more data you have, within reason, the better structured it is. This and that, like the more of an edge you can you can find in those markets. Um, and SaberSim is a company we had been aware of through our daily fantasy sports play, and they take a different approach than most of the sites. Most of the sites kind of have a black box when they come up with their projections. And the projections just say, here's how we expect each of these players to perform in this game. And they don't really talk much about their their process. Um, Some are better than others, but you don't really know what's going in behind the scenes. Whereas at SaberSim, what Matt, the guy who started the company, did was he built these simulators that would simulate every single game, play-by-play thousands of times, and use that data to... Project how each players would player would perform and from that you could see not just like the average outcome But just the entire range of outcomes and that's just super valuable when evaluating odds for a bet Um, And so long story short, we were aware of sabersim aware of what Matt was doing there and knew that behind the scenes somewhere he had data That we thought would be helpful for us to build our models um, I reached out to him about potentially buying that data um, over the course of a few weeks, kind of just got to know him a bit better, realized the company was a lot smaller than I expected. Um, and that for the most part, it, it was a one man show and realized that, yeah, we still want to get that data. But I think there's a big opportunity to to help him because he's a self-taught developer, pretty much learned to program to pursue his passion of building this company. Um, but there was so much else that went into running a business that he didn't have the time to do, didn't have the expertise to do well and and all of that. And I I knew that we could add a lot of expertise to kind of help complement his skill sets. And so the conversation really shifted from um, buying the data to making an investment to effectively buying the company. Um, and the deal came together pretty quickly to buy the company, but we structured it in a way where it was me and then three other partners. Um, and we structured it in a way where Matt earns back equity while staying with the company. Um, and so that we all are equal partners at the end of it. Um, and so that was kind of how, how that came about where it was just seeing, okay, this company is different. His approach to things jives with how we think about things and we just see pretty clearly how we could add add value to this. Um, and, and he agreed. And that's why we we're able to come to terms relatively quickly on it.
0: For sure. So with there being five of you, including Matt, how mm-hmm. did that work out at first? Was there a lot of, a lot of conflict in decisions or was, was so, it all?
1: Yeah. So basically it's the other three partners are, I wouldn't call them silent partners uh, because they all have skills that complement the rest of us and fill out the team, but they are not working full time in the business. Um, two of them play daily fantasy sports full time um, and just have their own investments and in other projects they're working on. The third runs a hedge fund full time on top of his daily fantasy sports play. Um, it's like, this is something where, they only have limited amounts of time and they advise when they're able to in the areas that like they can have the most value. Um, It's Matt and I running things day to day. And and I kind of, I came in with the CEO title and it was clear, at least amongst the investors, especially that like, I will be the point person on this. Um, And there's definitely discussions, but on the day to day, they are more hands off on things if there are bigger picture things I have questions about or want to discuss about they're, they're great to bounce ideas off of, but we've made sure to be clear up front that, um, I would have the authority to kind of run the show as I saw fit and they would add advice as needed. Um, but they, I was fortunate enough that I've worked with these guys on different projects for years and years. We have a great relationship. They, they trust me. I trust them. Um, and so we were able to avoid, a lot uh, of that by just having a good working relationship and just being clear about where the responsibilities would, would lie.
0: For sure. Cause I think that's one of the biggest worries about obviously starting a business with other co-founders because a lot of people like to take control. And when there's yeah. more than one person, especially five in your case, yeah, I think people would start to get worried about, right how many arguments are we going to have in this situation should something arise? So the fact that you've been able to obviously structure it in the way you have and you, the fact that you've taken that role that you have, and you've got sort of silent partners that advise it's clearly worked extremely well. So what I'd like to know then is obviously there's many other softwares out there that do a similar thing. You've obviously mentioned that you run your data in a different way to those, but how mm. do you differentiate yourself and how do you make that, how do you make your customers aware of that? So if I was sitting there now scrolling Google going, right, I need the best team this year on fancy. How, who am I going to, who's going to help me? Where, where would you come into play? How would you onboard me?
1: Yeah. So there, there's kind of two main segments that we look at. Um, one is someone, well, I guess three, one is just someone who's not that familiar with, fantasy sports or especially daily fantasy sports. And frankly, right now we aren't as concerned about that segment. It just requires more education. It's obviously a bigger market, but like we have enough growth in the other segments that we're not as concerned about that. So the the two that Mm -hmm. we really are focused on are people who are more casual players. They enjoy playing daily fantasy sports, um, but don't have the time to do it as much as they would like. uh, Because there's in American sports, um, especially like in a game like basketball, there's games every single day for the most part, there's late breaking news that isn't always reported that quickly. So you have to be on top of Twitter and you have to just like be glued to your phone to know what's going on. And people just don't have time for that, but they'd like to be able to put a few dollars down in a way that's more involved than just betting on a team. Um, and so that's one market. And then the other market are the people that are more serious about it and understand um, more about the, the competitive landscape, what the other tools do, and really ins and outs of it. And so far, we've primarily been focused on the more casual market. Um, and we've come into this by we're fortunate that our team has some of the top daily fantasy professionals th- that there are. And so we have a very strong understanding of what it takes to win at these games. And the problem with the traditional tools is that they're just way too complicated. Like even when I go in and try to use them, it's just like I it I can't figure them out. I'm like I played this professionally
0: mm. and
1: it's just, you need to spend hours and hours and hours to get, figure out how these tools work and then hours every day configuring them to do every little thing. And so what we really did was say, okay, how much of this work is actually adding value in how much is busy work that really a better program could just do for you. And so we've built SaberSim in a way that we try to automate away a lot of that busy work um, by measuring things that the other tools aren't looking at because they're only showing without getting like super deep into it. It's like they're only showing the average projection, but again, sports are anything but average. One game can have wildly different outcomes And additionally, one player's performance is not independent of another. And so we look at all these different relationships, all these different variables, and help quantify that so that a more casual player can take advantage of that data without spending hours and hours of their own time, and that the limited amount of time they do have, they can really add their own value by making adjustments and tweaking it rather than having to start from scratch every single night. And that's been where we've seen really big growth so far as it hasn't even been taking um, customers away from our competitors. It's just been opening up the market to people who weren't subscribing to any tools before. Mm. Um, But going forward is where we're going to start shifting um, towards the more serious players um, now that we feel like we're serving the casual players pretty well.
0: I just can't, when you're talking about all of this, I just can't stop thinking about Moneyball in the film. I I mean, I watched it like two days ago, but it's one of my favorite films. And it just, I mean, I love that film. I'm I'm guessing you've seen it.
1: Yes. (laughs) Yes. And I mean, mean, that's ultimately like, it's in theory, like it's a similar idea of of what we're doing is we, there are mathematical relationships in these games between these players, whatever, however you want to describe it, that when quantified can add significant advantage as you're building these lineups and serious daily fantasy sports players have known about these relationships, have known how to kind of build their lineups around it, but they've done it all by hand because the tools weren't built to do that. And so we realized that was crazy. Let's give people tools that kind of are smart, and you don't have to program a thousand different rules in to get good data out of it. You can just leverage what we 've already done for you, and then add your own opinions on top of it, but you're not again starting from scratch every single time
0: for sure I think it's all fa- I, th- I find it fascinating, and I find it the fact that what are some of the, how how much do people like bet on these sort of things then because I 'm completely naive to this whole fancy sport yeah, so
1: one of our partners probably wage i mean right now is a weird time because the only sports running are esports so like league of legends and that kind of thing so it's a lot smaller but like if on say there's lots of different skills we could talk about like on in nfl american football the games are primarily played on sundays there's a game on monday and thursday but like the biggest competitions are always on sunday and he'll probably have between $100,000 and $200,000 in play wow. on that one day. Um, and then if you add in baseball or basketball, like he's easily risking well over a million dollars a month. But he's also <laughs> like one of the top, I would guess, yeah. five players in the world. So that's like the the true peak of it. But then there are probably hundreds of players making at least $100,000 a year in profit from this Um so it the the scale varies significantly but there's a lot of money to be made um for sure
0: and the fact that there can be justifiable mathematics behind it i mean it just as you say said at the beginning your risks that you take are they're quantified risks they've got some meaning behind them and they're not just like me going to watch the horse racing and going oh that one looks nice let's put some money on that oh it didn't win um I think it's fascinating, no,
1: and, and and that's something that we we try to to be transparent about, where we say like, hey, if if all you do is sign up for us and click a few buttons, you might win some money here or there, but like you're not going to, ex- you can't expect to just start printing money just because yeah. you pay for our software. It's not that easy. But there there are plenty of people that they view this as entertainment, and we will help you get better. We will help you save time. You will do better with us than without us in much less time. And a lot of people are just very casual. They might maybe bet $100 a month and they pay for us not because they see it as as giving them free money, but just because they want to, they're competitive, they want to do better. Um, but then we also do have the players that treat this like a full-time job where it is a full-time job and we're just kind of one tool in their toolkit. But to get to those those top levels, it takes an insane amount of work, um, but it, it does exist. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Something I am curious about then is the fact that sports seasons are very seasonal. Mm -hmm. Does that also reflect in your revenue? Do you have sort of spikes in obviously when like the baseball season starts, football season starts? How does that affect you throughout the rest of the year? And obviously now, as you say, there is only esports. Obviously with the coronavirus, COVID-19, everything's canceled. How does this affect you as a business and how have you sort of adapted to it?
1: Yeah, so we are we have traditionally been a very seasonal business. Um, When we joined the company, we only offered the four major American sports, which are baseball, hockey, basketball, and football. Um, And at the start, basically at the start of every season, you see a major spike in signups. And then as the season goes on, you'll kind of see new signups gradually go down. Um, and then you'll have another spike when the next one starts up. And baseball historically was our biggest sport. That's just what we've been the most known for. Um, but we've caught up with the other ones recently. And we've added more sports to help balance out that seasonality. But it is inevitable that, especially for, for football season going forward, um, you're going to see a big spike. And you can't plan hiring around the numbers that you see there um, mm. just because those are going to be artificially high. So it does make forecasting and planning a bit more difficult, yeah. but we just try to be on the conservative end of it. Um, but yeah, right now uh, we we have our revenue went to zero um, sort of by choice when the basketball league suspended their season um, almost exactly a month ago. We made the decision to pause billing for all of our customers um until one of the major sports restarted. And we didn't quite know well, we didn't really have any idea of when that would be um or quite what that would look like. Um, at that point, baseball was a few weeks away from starting. Um, there were still like MMA fights and NASCAR and golf. Um, but those over the next over the following weeks went away as well. Um, and yeah so we now only have esports really and we didn't originally offer those so we had to kind of rush to get something out for that but even then it's just we don't we don't we know our customers aren't paying us just for for these small kind of random contests um and so we're, we're not charging for this um and really just wanted to Put something out there to keep people engaged with it um and and kind of just see how that goes but yeah it definitely was a, a unexpected um outcome of just getting ready gearing up for our biggest season and then going to zero instead
0: yeah so how what have you sort of done to make the best of the situation? Are you still like encouraging sign-ups and the fact that you can then obviously get emails and sort of have people test the system so when the sports seasons do restart, you can basically just get people up and running off they go. How are you trying to make the best of the situation?
1: Yeah, so was, I still remember like when the NBA suspended, I got on a call with the other partners in... So like, look, like we have no idea how long this is going to last. We're, I don't think it's right to continue billing people in the meantime. Um, we had just hired a, another full-time developer and he was getting onboarded, and we didn't really want to lose that momentum. And we really were in a good um, path for, for making progress. And so we made the decision to add a good chunk of money in cash to our bank accounts for the company to make sure that we could get through until the end of the summer at the very least without making any layoffs and really just decided to not change anything in terms of our plans for development and kind of I don't like saying, look at this as like a blessing in disguise because it's it's obviously not. There's, there's a lot of yeah. death. There's a lot of devastation. There's a lot of people whose businesses and lives are never going to be the same after this. So I, I don't want to use like that terms, but for us trying to find um, the most positive outcome for our company, um, we saw it as like, okay, this is the one period of time where use is going to be low. So we don't have to worry as much about like, random things going wrong. And, and, just in a software company, in any business, when you're actively working with customers with delivering products, whatever it may be, like things go wrong all the time. And it takes a ton of your focus to respond to those, to fix that, to deal with it. And right now we're like, saying, okay, like we don't have those worries. We don't have customer support requests coming in. We don't have bug um, notices coming in. We don't have all this noise distracting us. So we really can focus to kind of, not just continue the path, but really move faster than we otherwise would have been able to do. Um, and that's what we've done. Um, but yeah. to me, it's one of those calculated risks where it like talking to some people to like, wow, like this is like, it hasn't, it's uh, frustrated me, but I'm not stressed by that, by like the financial ramifications. Cause to me, it's like assuming things return to some level of normalcy at, at some point in the relatively near future, we'll be okay and we'll come out of this in a strong position. And, and it does suck that they, yeah, it costs us more money to get there and we don't have revenue in the meantime. But like this is to me just like objectively the right decision. Mm. Um, and I'm glad that my partners have a similar mindset where instead of worrying like we're doing what we can to keep costs under control during this and, and all of that. But like we're more focused on growth. Um, and, and that's, that's kind of where we found ourselves now.
0: Yeah. I think that's obviously the best thing as well. As you say, things can be much worse than they are right now. Like I'm saying this to my family the other day, we've all still got our jobs. We're all still earning money. There are those people out there that have no income whatsoever at the moment. So we have no real reason to complain. As long as we've still got something and we can still work on something, you're obviously right. making the best of the situation you're in. We should be thankful for what we have.
1: Yeah, exactly. And and it's it's I I what what is the most difficult part for me is is the uncertainty of just like not knowing when things will turn when mm. sports will come back in some regard. And that's been difficult um, because it's just hard to make rational decisions when like the biggest variable, you don't know what it is.
0: Yeah. And I suppose it would even still be okay for you guys as if they brought back the sports again, but then just have no crowds. like they Right. Were doing- and,
1: and that's what we expect is to happen. I mean, I have no idea when, um, but yeah, I would expect that because at the end of the day, these are massive multi multi multi-billion dollar a year businesses. They are working around the clock to try to find a way to safely come back. Um, Mm. And I'm confident that they'll be able to find something that works. Um, And yeah, we don't, I mean, it'll be weird watching these games with no fans, but as long as they're playing, we can, we can kind of resume business operations. Um, It's just getting to that point.
0: For sure. So, We love to talk about failures on this podcast. So this is something I ask all my guests. I like to talk to them about what they believe to be their biggest failure in their business journey so far. And you kindly notified me of what yours was. And you said that the fact that you stayed on the sidelines for too long, you read all of this content, you built up all of this knowledge, but you didn't pull the trigger. You didn't start. So why, why, why do you consider that your biggest failure?
1: I mean, I think as I've gotten more hands-on with with, with business and especially with SaberSim, obviously, but just as at every step of the way, by the time I jumped in to any of these decisions, like, oh, I could have done this much earlier. Not that it would have been easy, not that it wasn't valuable to to learn what I learned and, and study and, and get ready for it and all of this and that, but like, I learned so much faster on the job, or in whatever situation it was that I was dealing with, and a lot of times, what would happen for me is kind of I would wait until something sort of forced me to act, um, where it was just like super clear that okay, poker is not getting any better. I'm tired of this. Like I'm going to go crazy if I keep playing. I need to do something different. What is that? Okay, here let's go. Let's finally like jump into some of this this stuff. Um, and I think that slowed me down a lot. I think I could have started something on my own much earlier. I think I, I could have just not, I don't like saying wasted time, but I think I, I could have gotten started on the entrepreneurial journey much earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, it's easy to say that in retrospect, um, because at the end of the day, I, I think there are few opportunities I would have been able to find that would have matched. SaberSim and how closely it aligns with my skill set. Um, so at the end of the day, I, I'm not upset about it, but I wish at the same time that, that I would have kind of taken action a bit earlier at a lot of steps along the way.
0: I think everyone's fallen culprit to that. Like, the amount of times I've sort of stopped and thought, imagine if I started this six months before I actually started it. Where the hell would I be at now? Or, <laughs> that always crosses your mind, but as you say, hindsight is a wonderful thing we could always look back and say that but if you hadn't started to the time you had you wouldn't have it now for example right. so
1: yeah and it is tough because i mean i also look at in the traditional business world of like small business of like restaurants and just retail stores and so much i'm like it is you see people start these businesses with no clue and they don't know what they're getting into and they frankly almost have no chance of success and some of them are able to figure out and make it work but it's like a lot of them are stacking the deck against them and you do need to have some good foundation to work on and to build from but it's it's that fine line of just like you can only learn so much from a book um, because everything kind of changes once once you're in the trenches really
0: yeah, there's only so many online courses you can take, so many books you can read. If you've got all this knowledge, what's, what's, what is what's what is the point in all that knowledge if you're not using it?
1: Right, That's what it yeah, be. exactly.
0: Bussy, thank you for sharing that. I know people don't like to talk about their failures, but it's what yeah, I love it, to it's, about. It's,
1: it's a weird one because it's not like I made this decision and it something bad wrong. happened. Yeah. It, it was more, in like plenty of those things happen, but none of them stick out A ton to me um because oftentimes like given my lack of action in the past it was a failure that spurred me into action that got me to like make the good decisions and so i'm almost more thankful for those and it was just like i I more regret that i had to wait for for something to go wrong to to really act
0: for sure and that's also why i sort of say i don't really believe there is such thing as failure in the essence that with a failure comes a lesson learned and if you've learned something can you really mm-hmm. consider it a failure because at the end of the day something good has come from it so yeah it depends what aspect you look at it but that does round up the main bulk of the episode but as i mentioned before we started i like to finish every single show with a final five five a quick five questions i round off every single episode with so if you had have listened to one of my episodes you could have been prepared for these i don't know if you have I'm not gonna hold you to it if you haven't but they are the same in every episode so for question number one who is the first person that comes to mind when i say the word successful oh.
1: see I, I didn't prepare for these yeah so they will be truly off off the cuff um i'm gonna go with this okay i'll go with jason cohen and he's not necessarily the most well-known entrepreneur out there but he is um, super impressive to me he most recently founded WP Engine um, which is a major hosting company for WordPress sites um, but before that he founded I think three multi-million dollar businesses um, and he's just very um, well known in kind of the the bootstrap self-funded world and he gave a great talk on just starting a software company um, at a conference called microconf. And if you just Google Jason Cohen, uh, microconf on YouTube, I guess not Google it, but YouTube it, um, you can find that talk and see why I, I think he's so impressive.
0: Amazing. I like it when people pull out these less well-known names because it obviously gives me then something to research and go and look at. Cause you know, I like, I like asking these questions cause I find it interesting on who people look up to. And I like the fact that you haven't prepared them, that it's off the cuff as well, much more, much more natural. <laughs> um, Number two then what's the best investment you've ever made? So this can be time money energy or just simply an amazon purchase
1: I mean the literal best investment is definitely sabersome and it's not close um, but beyond that it's This stuff is the like kind of cliche answer is investing in yourself in an education and learning mm-hmm. um, and I agree with that. I think though the best investment for me beyond those things is just in cultivating like deep friendships and partnerships with with people I respect. Um, that's, it's helped me get those jobs. It's helped me get these deals. It's helped, um, really just every step along the way. That's what's pushed me ahead the most is having people whose advice I could lean on, like with buying a a company. Um, it's not simple, but I was fortunate enough to have several friends who have done that before for other software companies on the buying and selling side and could lean on them for advice and for legal contacts and all this and that. And I think having people that you trust, you can bounce ideas off of and learn from is really just invaluable.
0: I love that answer. And I actually haven't had that yet. So brilliant out of interest though. What is your favorite thing you've purchased on Amazon? (laughs) Hmm. If you even use Amazon.
1: Oh, I I do. I do. (laughs) um favorite thing
0: just more of a little question i answer because i mean everyone buys so much random stuff on amazon
1: (laughs) yeah i'm trying to even that's that's the thing it's like i I almost use it too much to to have like a a quick answer come to my mind it's like most things I buy are from there um i guess the easiest would just be they have these really cool like Journals that are—it's basically like a hardcover book with just blank pages inside—and I haven't found like anything good like that elsewhere. Um, And so those are—I'm someone that like I need to write things down. I typing it doesn't do the same thing at all for me. If I'm thinking, I like I can do that through writing, Um, and I like just having like something nice to write in. And there's a lot of different notebook other options, but like this is a first one that's like a hardcover like nice book that, that I really enjoy writing. in.
0: I agree as well. I've got like a gazillion notepads from where I've been like taking notes on all the guests I've interviewed and whatnot. <laughs> I, just, I, I type it up on screen once I'm done just so it's there yep. in front of me. But when I'm actually doing it, I have to physically write it. Otherwise I won't remember it either. Yep. So it's a, just the way I like to do it. So question number three, do you have a quote that you live by or think of often?
1: I'm not a big quote guy um, it's like I I And it might just be I haven't found that that quote that like really sticks with me um But yeah, I, I honestly don't have have a one that, that comes to mind. Yeah
0: Not one that you've had tattooed on down your arm just yet
1: No, and it's like I i'm almost like jealous of people that have something that that they can like hold on to and like truly Have them motivate them like that But I just haven't found one that, that really resonates with me
0: like that yet. It's fair enough fair enough. What advice would you give to your 20-year-old self?
1: Hmm. Um, probably quit poker earlier. <laughs> um, like it's, yeah, probably, I guess it, it does lots of different things, but I think just outside of that it would be just like, take, take more risks when it comes to getting into um entrepreneurship like stop Mm. sitting on the sideline really
0: yeah so did you so you mentioned quitting poker a bit sooner did you just find yourself sort of clinging on to it in the end in the fact that i mean it was
1: it it, like that thing is like it was even at the end like it was a good living um and it just i didn't enjoy it and it was just very clear that like it's not getting better. This isn't like, I can't expect the outcome of this in five years to be better than it is today. And I just think being, whether you're in like a dead end job or whatever, like that's effectively what it was. And it just was clear that like that gave me a ton of freedom. It gave me uh, financial security. It gave me a lot of things, but like, it wasn't going to get me to that next level. And I, I wish I would have kind of accepted that earlier but at the end of the day like it effectively was easy in that it was easy to stay with it because change is always hard
0: for sure final question of the episode then and i do apologize it's a morbid way to end the episode and i do always end the episode on a downer question which i don't like doing but it's a really (laughs) interesting question that i get interesting answers to and it's are you afraid of dying
1: yeah definitely any
0: particular reason why What, what scares you
1: um, I think a lot of it is just like, I don't feel like I've achieved a level of success that I should. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel now that like, I'm more confident that I'm on the path that will get me there. Um, but it's still just like some connection to ego where like knowing that I'll get there. If I keep going on this path is one thing, but I feel like I actually have to get there. and. Yeah dying before that would suck i guess (laughs) i I I am
0: i I am exactly exactly the same but that's all i have for you today so andy thank you very very much for joining me on this episode it's been incredible and you've answered everything i needed to know (laughs) and i was i'm fascinated about the fantasy sports game and I'm. I don't want to get into it because I don't want to lose too much of my money. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm going to have to look a little more into it. Um, but obviously, thank you for joining me. Uh, when can, where can my listeners follow up with you? Where can they find you? What have you got going on at the moment?
1: Yes, yeah, so I'm. I literally, have a Twitter account, but I don't really use it. Um, I especially now I try to have like a bit of a social media diet where it just can be an influx of just a lot of negativity and just a lot of stuff that I can't act on. And it's just too much. So the best place to reach out to me is probably on, on LinkedIn. Um, if you just search for Andy Baldacci, I'm guessing you'll find me. Um, I also host my own podcast, the effective founder show. Um, and if you're interested in any of these topics, um, that's definitely another spot to, to check out. And if you want to get into fantasy, no pressure at all, but you can always check out saversim.com. Uh, it's completely free until the major sports come back. But yeah, those are probably the best places.
0: Amazing. And for the listeners, I will leave those in the show notes below. I know that's a massive, massive <laughs> things to remember. So simply just scroll down and all the links you'll need to be, needs to find will just be there. So scroll down right. and check them out. But Andy, once again, thank you so much for your time and listeners thank you so much for listening to this episode of ceo journals thanks ethan so that's going to wrap up today's episode of the podcast and i can't thank you all enough for listening I aim to interview some of the most incredible entrepreneurs every single week. So if you found any value in listening to today's episode, I'd seriously appreciate if you could smash that subscribe button and leave a five star rating and review. It only takes a couple of seconds and will help me secure some of the greatest names in business as guests on the show. If you want to reach out to me, head over to my Instagram at CEO Journals or send me a connection request on LinkedIn. I'd love to speak to as many of you as possible. Be sure to tune in next week where I'll be talking to another incredible guest, where we will be discussing their journey and providing some great tips for all you listeners. I hope you have a lovely rest of your day. And once again, thank you for tuning in to today's episode of CEO Journals.